Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're finishing Colossians today. And it's appropriate, I think, because it's it's the triumphal entry. And we read the text this morning. It's Palm Sunday where you think about the palm trees coming down and the branches being put out as Jesus rode in. But the Bible's presentation of him is that he came humble and lowly. I'll tell you what. The gospel changes everything. It changes how you think about life. And I hope you've started to see that as we walk through Colossians together. Uh, we, we end Colossians today with these final greetings from Paul. And they're about names you've probably never heard, or if you've heard them, you've just heard them, but never really thought about them. Names like Tychicus and Archippus and Nympha and, and who are these people? What makes them part of us? And, and so we're talking today really about, about community and how the gospel in this upside-down way makes community and how Paul even presents at the end of Colossians. This is part of our Bible. It's, it's oftentimes as these last words are, are part, we say, well, it's, it's a letter, you know, he was sending it to Colossians. And so, so this church there at Colossae and the churches around it, so he, he put some names at the end. So let's, let's skip this part and head into our next book, which is going to be 1 Corinthians. I don't want you to do that. There's significant things to be thinking about here. And I invite you into this this amazing thought that you and I need encouragement all the time in Christ. And how you think of the gospel will lead you towards giving the right kind of encouragement. I want to show you. And I want to show you from the text today. This is about encouragement, giving it and receiving it as Paul, at the end of his letter, essentially gives some encouragement to them. Um, let's consider it together. I'm going to break it down for us. I, there's some things that you may not think about normally, but I, first I want you to do this. First I want you to see community. I want you to see it here. I want you to see it in our text. Take, take a look with me. This first PC community is beginning chapter 3, verse Acts chapter 4, verse 7. Here we go. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Okay, so we start with these couple verses, and he mentions these two men, and and essentially he's talking about them traveling from where Paul is to go to Colossae and tell them all the things that are happening with Paul there. We think Paul is in the middle of, of an imprisonment, right? He's in chains. He we think this is his two-year imprisonment, probably, and he's about halfway through, and he's written these letters, four of them. They're called the prison epistles. Then he also writes Philemon that will, Onesimus will take with him back to his master, Philemon. But I'll tell you what. One of the hardest parts of Christian living is community. Being part of a community, and I, I mean, it's 
It's just simply stated in Paul, we're one body. He said it in Colossians. He says it in Ephesians. He has all these letters. He talks about how we're one body. But I look around, and I think one of the hardest things we do is we live as one body. It's tough. You look at me, and I look at you. We look at how different we are and all the different opinions we have and the ways we want to live and the ideas we have. And, the, and then we look at who's kind of cool and, and we want to hang out with and people that we just say, well, they're not so cool and I don't want to hang out with them. And then you put them all together in a church. And Paul declares you're one body. We're a community. It's got to be that it's only because of one thing, right? Paul's one thing. Not that I have any righteousness in myself, he says, but my only hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And, and, and because of our communal, if you will, we die, you and I, and we live in Christ. We're gathered around this humble king, this cross. We're alive in Jesus. We're being built together into a temple, Paul says, but it sure doesn't seem like it. Because we're naturally self-focused and, and then we, we don't see people being particularly beautiful or nice or loving towards us. I'm trying to be in community, you might say, but nobody really wants me. So I want to point out a couple things that Paul's doing right here in this text. Here's one. He's encouraging with his words, right? He's choosing to say, of each of the people that you're going to meet today, something kind about. So naturally you think, well, there must be something there. There must be stalwarts. There must be. We know nothing of these people. All we know are the words Paul chose to say. If you actually stood Tacitus up here, would he be a stalwart person that you would love to be with? I don't know. Neither do you. You want to say, oh yeah, he will, because Paul calls him a faithful brother. What does faithful brother mean? What what does it mean that he's a beloved brother? Right? Because you know what beloved brother actually means. It means he's loved by Jesus. That's what made him qualified for Paul to say something encouraging about him. And he's with Paul. I think we we do ourselves a disservice thinking that these are superheroes. He's not. These are sinners. He's choosing to emphasize the wonder of his being family. We we know of Tychicus, for example, that he was Asian. He was a delegate from the Ephesian church, and he worked with Paul, and eventually he was relief for Titus in Crete because Titus was in Crete when he wrote that letter, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm sending Tychicus. He's going to take over for you for a while so that so that you can come to me. He's a beloved brother. He's a... Faithful servant, he's a fellow servant in the Lord. I don't know the first thing about him otherwise. Was he tall? Brown eyes? Did he have kids? Did he like coffee? I don't know. I know these very few things. Similarly, Onesimus, right? I know very little about Onesimus, except for one particular thing that, that ought to give me pause. At the time Paul's sending him back, He's a runaway slave. Paul doesn't say that. But that's what he is. Right now, this letter's being written. He's sending him back. With him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who ran away from slavery, and I'm sending him back because he shouldn't have done that. That's what he's doing, right? No matter what you think about slavery, Paul's, Paul's 
and slavery in the time, it's, it's a little bit of a, of a red herring because the reality is this man's not doing what the culture says you should do. This man's not doing what even Paul says you should do because he's sending him back. But he chooses to say, my faithful and beloved brother. He could have said, Onesimus, a runaway slave who I'm sending back to his master, will accompany him. So there's something in this, right? It's not that Paul's being Pollyanna or he's only seeing the good. I'm sure he knows difficult things too. And in fact, for example, in 2 Timothy, we'll look a little bit at the end. He, He does. It's that he values the community. And the essence of community is that we're loved by the king. If you've received Christ... You're a beloved brother or you're a beloved sister. This is who you are. And Paul's like, this is what you need to know. I'm sending my beloved brother and my faithful servant because he's here serving Jesus with me. He's thankful he gets to be with Onesimus and with Tychicus. And so, so again, in my head, I think, well, they must be really cool, these servants of God. And I dare say, though, they are normal people with warts. So the step that Paul is saying as he writes this to me is my money is where my mouth is. I say that it's about Christ alone, and so I'm telling you with encouragement, oh, it's so neat. You've got a brother because he's beloved by the king. He's going to come, and, and he's going to talk to you and tell you. And the, I'm telling you, each have the spirit. I'm telling you the gospel is what gives us unity, what makes us one. And so let me commend to you these brothers who are fantastic because they are loved by Jesus, and that makes them beloved brothers. That makes them fellow servants of the humble king. You're in that group too. You are. Try it out. Beloved brother. Beloved sister. Okay, so that's the first observation just in that. And there's a second. It's it, He says, hey, not just hey, my beloved brother, my beloved sister. It's, it's you. It's me. It's, it's, it's all of us in this amazing community made by God himself. But there's this second piece that Paul is sending them for a reason, right? What's the reason? Is it to ask for money? Is it to tell them how to, how to shape up? To whip them into shape and no, no, no. He's sending them to tell the church all about how he's doing. Imagine with me for a minute, will you? Tychicus gathering around all about his activities and I imagine, well, you know, he's chained to this guard. He, they shake the chain at about seven in the morning and he wakes up. Boy, he's got bad breath because they don't let him brush his teeth. And he gets a little bowl of gruel and he eats a little bit of it. But you know, his spirits are really good. The Lord's been kind to him and his heart's okay. And, and then, boy, they only empty the chamber pot once a week. And all, you think all the details, he's going to tell everything about him, right? Not just the spiritual stuff. That's not what that means. He'll tell you everything. He'll tell you about his heart. He'll tell you about his circumstances. He'll tell you about life. He'll, he, he's saying, I, I want you to know the good and the bad. All of it. Oh, he's smiling. He's joyful in the Lord. There's this mix, you see, about daily life and spiritual life activities like prayer and sustaining fellowship and also just stuff. They will tell you everything, he says. 
Paul wants them to know how they are because this encourages hearts. It's good to share with each other how you're doing. Sometimes we get placed in this community, I think, as Christians, and we think, well, I'm supposed to just share stuff that, that, that is, that is sort of high. High stuff. What's high stuff? How much I pray and what I do for the Lord. And that's that, because that's, but, but that's not actually what Paul's doing. He's talking about his imprisonment. He's talking about the things that are happening day to day. Not just the Facebook stuff, right? You ever Facebook? And man, Facebook to me is, I just, I gotta really watch it. Cause I start to feel bad when I look at Facebook. You guys are all doing so amazing. Such amazing things. And I'm just sitting in my room. And this great thing that person A is doing, this great thing that person B is doing, and oh, I don't know, I, I could probably pick out for many, wow, you get, you get to do that? What does my heart go? I want to go do that. Everything is strong and good and powerful and big and cool and nice and, and not daily. And I think what Paul's doing here, he sends some men and it's not to tell them the highlights, it's to tell them everything. Tell all. So take this as an example and share your life. Share with who you are. Share it all and see other people, positive examples of what God is doing because he's made brothers and sisters for you. They are beloved, not by you, by the king. So that's the first thing. I just, I was hoping as we started this, and, and this is in the Bible, and it's actually a very long section of Colossians. It's almost the longest piece that we see community, community that God makes, not because of our great connectedness in our common activities that we love to do, like skiing or fishing or skating or whatever those things are, but just because of the gospel. And then we're so different in so many ways. That's the first thing. See community. Here's the second thing. Know the struggle. Got to think through what Paul's writing. Because he says this in verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Okay. We focus in usually on Mark because Mark's a great story. Barnabas and Mark were with Paul and they went on this journey in Acts and then, and then Mark kind of went home. He, he abandoned, he left and Paul and Barnabas had such anger and found and they split and they went different directions. And now we see him writing, oh, I've got instructions for Mark and the implication is they're good instructions. And Mark has been a comfort to him. And then you're going to see later in 2 Timothy that he actually affirms Mark, oh, he's valuable. How cool. I agree with that. But what I want you to see in this is this is why he's writing. These three men. By the way, again, we don't know hardly anything about Archippus. Or Aristarchus. Or any of these guys. But it's it's Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus who's called Justice. And here's the thing. They're the only men of the circumcision of my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Why is he marking them out? I'm really thankful to have some people of circumcision around me. Why, Paul? What's going on? Because they're Jewish, right? you got to understand Paul and where he's come from. This is one of the main comforts that Paul needs. Paul needs reassurance, too. 
Paul's a man. Paul is not good. Jesus Christ is God. He's fully God and fully man. Paul is man. He's not God. What does he need? Same thing you and I need. Reassurance. Encouragement. Comfort. So he says he looks at these men who are of the, the same background. They say, man, I take comfort. In, in, I only have a few, but there's a few of the circumcision of, who are Jewish in background, and that's so comforting to me. Why would it be comforting to him? Remember who Paul is? It's not like you and me. I'm a Gentile, grew up Gentile. Maybe you did it, but Paul grew up orthodox. He was a Pharisee. What does that mean? He believed with his whole heart that the way you kept God happy with you is you kept the law. <laughs> they were serious, man. They weren't, they weren't like hypocrites through and through. He grew up steeped in the, the law, surrounded by people who took holy behavior seriously. They bound scripture on their doorposts. They, they, they wove it on their, on their clothing. They wore it around to say, no, I've got to keep the word because if I don't, God might kick out the nation again. I'm waiting for the return of God by my righteousness. Remember how Paul, he persecuted Christians. He, he was there in Acts when Stephen was killed. He, he, and then he had this amazing, amazing, meeting with Jesus Christ himself on the Damascus Road. Remember how his eyes, he had scales, he couldn't see, and all the amazing thing. But I'll tell you what, that's one event in all the years he's lived. And he, he met Jesus, he has the truth, he has so much more than you and I had, but I'll tell you what, he also was a man, and now he's living. Where is he now? He's in chains. What has he done? He's going around to these pagans saying, Jesus Christ is for you. You can have Christ. You don't have to do a single thing except trust in Jesus. All the Jews now want to kill him. All the people who say it's so important that you, that the, man, the Ten Commandments are where it's at, man. Those guys are all want to kill Paul because he's saying Christ alone. So is it any Surprise that he says these other converts who come where I come from in, in, in Judaism, they've come out of this, this way of thinking and they affirm with me that Jesus Christ is everything. Oh, I take comfort in that. Why? I've got a few friends who come where I've come from and they see the great struggle that I have. What's this great struggle? My struggle would be, am I telling the truth? That Jesus Christ is everything. Remember John the Baptist and that scene in, in, in the Gospels where John the Baptist sends his guys over to Jesus and he says, hey, are you really are you really the one? Jesus is his cousin, right? He knows. He says, one's coming. And John the Baptist has had that moment where he baptized Jesus. Remember, he baptized Jesus and the skies split and like a dove descended from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist saw that, but then he ended up in prison. What did he do? He sent some guys to Jesus to say, are you really the one? And Jesus says, hey, the lame walk and the blind see and the dead are raised. You go tell John that. I'm the one. But, but, but John still needed that encouragement, right? Jesus said, blessed are you if you don't need that. But I'll tell you what, he gives us beloved brothers and sisters so that we might encourage each other that, that this truth from the Bible, that we study the scriptures and we affirm in each other, oh, it's Christ alone, it's Christ alone, it's Christ alone. We need it. You need it. I think Paul needed it. 
They've been a comfort to me, he says. This is his struggle. It's a struggle about assurance. Or if you want to say it in a more English term we normally use, reassurance. He needs reassurance. He's sitting in prison. He, he took this big step, and then there's this comfort of others who've stepped, who have also left Judaism, who are of the circumcision, but have left it all for Christ, who no longer live by the letter. The letter kills. That ordinance of commandments is against us, but our hope, our hope is in Jesus. And it's human nature to need comfort. Do it, will you? Encourage each other. Your, your brother and your sister who Jesus loves, they need encouragement. That, that this is the truth. He keeps going. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church and her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So, so he, he's seeing this need for reassurance go through, not just him, right? But for everybody. Look, look, look. Look at Epaphras, he says, who's one of you, this servant of Jesus Christ. He says, did you see? He struggles for you in prayer. He's praying all the time for your maturity, for the full assurance of the will of God. What's that? It's not some generic thing where he just, oh, he's kind of praying for you. That's great. No, he wants you to be assured that you're standing on the right foundation, that, that this Christ that you've come to know, you're so assured that it's the way. You don't veer off to the right or to the left. Certain. That's the biggest danger. You know, I see it every day. We're such a people where we're bombarded by ideas that want to push us off the gospel, that want to push us back into merit, wants to push us back into works, wants to push us back into license, wants to push us back into all these things that aren't gospel at all. And you and I, we need to assure one another. It's so much easier sometimes to go just off into the woods. Me, myself, and Jesus. There's three of us. Don't do it. You need this. You, you need it. You need the encouragement, and you need to encourage other people. And it's, it's not just by words. It's also by prayer, and that's what Epaphras is doing. He talks about it, too, through with Luke, right? And, 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 and with Demas, who eventually will leave Paul. Again, we'll look at that in a minute. But, but, but then also just greeting to all the churches. He says, this encouragement's going to go out. It's so important that this message continues to go out. You read this letter here and you read their letter to them and, and, and make sure you're all together all the time getting this truth again and again because it's going to reassure you that you're going down the right path. You're standing on the right thing. This humble king who came on a donkey and died on a cross. 
So Paul has written to assure them of the good news of Christ. This will help them be mature. Again, he's not talking about their moral advancement. He's talking by gospel truth, which Jesus has done it all. In Christ you died and your life is hid in him. You're not alone in believing this incredible message in a world that's all about have you done enough for God. Okay, so see community, that's one thing. See it, that Paul Paul establishes it, not, not by your goodness, but by you being beloved by the King, by Jesus. And, and then we see the struggle. The struggle is we need reassurance, and so that informs us, you and I, as we're in this community, that we're encouraging one another. As long as today is called today. And then just one more piece I want you to remember. Because Paul says this at the end. Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And then he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Some final words here. This is the end of the entire letter right here. Here's the thing. We know almost nothing about Archippus. So you say, fulfill the ministry you received from the Lord. Let me tell you this great ministry that he had. Oh, wait. I don't know it. Lost in time. Why is it here? Be- be- because, again, Paul's, Paul's encouraging one more time. Right? He says, hey, if you know you've got service from the Lord you can do, oh, you might do it with all your heart. Don't hold back. Go, Archippus. Some people think he was the nephew of Philemon. We don't know. It's all conjecture. He was a fellow soldier with with Paul. I want to focus on this final line because, because as is his wont, Paul takes his pen from his amanuensis. I'm not saying it right, but that means the person who wrote down stuff for him. And he grabs the pen from him and writes himself. And you can imagine large letters as he writes himself. You can imagine chains dangling from his wrists, or at least on his ankles. I write this with my own hand, he says. And then two short phrases. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Would you think about that first one with me? Remember my chains. Why why would he scratch that down? He's only he's writing this one line at the end. Remember my chains. Some people think, well, he's talking about, he really wants them to continue to pray that God will deliver him. But he's already asked for that. I, it doesn't have that flavor to me. This isn't a cry for prayer. He's already asked. And in this final page, right here, he's asked for prayer at the beginning of chapter 4. And now here, right at the end with his own hand, this great apostle, the one who planted all these churches, the greatest evangelist, he's not improving and increasing. He wants you to remember his chains. He's going down. He's lowly. You may, you may not want to, in a normal situation, be seen with him. Remember my chains. This is the world rejecting, right? Remember, this is Christianity. It's not getting the strong to be stronger. It's about rejection and suffering and even death. Remember that, says Paul. He doesn't say, remember my miracles. Remember my faithfulness. Remember my good deeds. 
Remember my chains. We remember because, because we've looked, right? Is it here? Now I rejoice in my sufferings. He wrote earlier in this very letter. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. What's the problem in the church? There's not enough affliction. It's me. I'm, I'm filling it up over here. Remember my chains. It's a tough thing for us. We, we so think that the desire of God all the time for you and for me is for us to do better and go up and get stronger. And, and Paul says, remember, I'm doing this. I'm going down. I'm in prison. And I'm not stopped. The message isn't stopped. This message is incredible upside down. Message of the gospel that the lowly king came. That the one who's the son of heaven came and died on a cross. That the one who's, who's strong became weak. Remember, I'm doing this. Remember, your hope is not in this world. Oh, precious ones, don't buy in. It's all around you, and it sneaks into the church. Remember the triumphal entry. We, we read it today, right? Jesus comes in Jerusalem. He doesn't come on a stallion. And in less than a week, he's beaten and whipped and scourged and thorns on his crown and can't even bear his own cross. He's too weak, and, and, he, and he's nailed to a cross for our sin. Remember my chains. It's not to rescue Paul from them. Remember my chains, guys, and start planning how you're going to break me out of prison. Prison break. No. See the upside-down nature of the gospel, please. Then he closes with this phrase, grace be with you. <laughs> I love this. I was first introduced to this by John Piper, you know, it's... it's he wrote in every Pauline letter that you can find, I think there's one exception. He always starts the same way and ends the same way. And I've shared this with you, but bear with me and we'll walk through it with me because if you go back to the beginning of Colossians, he says a standard greeting, which is grace to you and peace from our Father. God our Father, I think he says. Grace to you. He says, I want grace to come to you. And now here at the end of the letter, the very last words he writes, grace be with you. You see the change in, I don't know if that's, that's not a pronoun, that's a connective word, that's a conjunction. See the change in conjunction? To you and with you. See, see, I'm, I've told you the grace, grace to you. Let me tell you about the grace. And then now you take it with you as you go. Like a treasure you put in your backpack and you hike away with it. Like a treasure you hide in your heart. And Colossians has been that way for you and for me, right? Because he's walked through this all through Colossians. He starts Colossians and talks about how we have a new family. And it's based on Christ alone. And, and, and this amazing truth of the gospel has changed you and me. Colossians 1 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Can you, can you imagine a better statement than that? He's delivered you. Me too. Oh, we think too little of Jesus and too much of ourselves. And so we thought about with Paul who Jesus is, the image of the invisible God. That's Colossians 1.30, right? The firstborn over all creation. Everything was made through God. And he's reconciled everything to himself by what he's done. And simply by trusting him, you have this new steady hope of life in him. We all do. This is grace, right? 
This is what it is. It's the message of Christ. So we walk in Christ, which is knowing we've died and our life is in Him. And we aren't using law to get better, but to, to see how bad we are because the law is so beautiful and we're so bad. We're only alive because He canceled this record of debts that was against us. That's chapter 2, verse 14. So we don't have to fear because we died and Jesus has given us life and we aren't under judgment. We're not disqualified based on what we eat or what we wear, or what regulations we follow. We're alive because Jesus makes us alive. Oh, this is the change. And Paul hits it so hard that we hit it hard ourselves in chapter 3 where he wants to talk about how this flows out of this change, this new hope that we have that we died and our life is hidden in Christ, this hope that when he appears, we'll appear with him in glory. And so we've got this in our hearts, you and I, this grace. And because of it, we look at everything differently. Oh, now we have soft hearts and gentleness and kindness and these things come out of understanding this depth of what's been done, this new hope that we have. We can submit wives and kids and slaves even. Otherworldly it is. And and so this letter. Grace to you. Let me give it to you. There it was. Take it with you. Don't you dare forget. Don't you take this like we always do. And, and in our society, we always do. We, we hear sermons a lot. So there's the sermon I hear this week. But you can't even tell me what, what the stuff when we started three months ago in Colossians. When if you would just read Colossians through, you'd probably take you 20 minutes. Oh, you might get it. Grace to you. Take it with you. Radical, this stuff. Absolutely radical. Grace be with you. This is, this is Paul building up the community of saints by writing what only he can as he pours out his life to encourage you and me that Jesus Christ is all that matters and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to do just that. How great a struggle he had for you and me and for all believers that our hearts might be encouraged. He actually says it in chapter 2, verse 1. Go take a look. Here's the thing. We won't always have this community. You won't always be able to look around and say, oh, man, beloved brother, beloved sister. Paul didn't get to either. But let me just, I know we need to end. Let me show you this real quickly. Not that. This. This is just a a, a few short years later. Dear best to come to me soon, Paul writes to Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And I can't stick around, Paul. Sorry, I got to go home. Luke alone is with me. And even writes a few verses later, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Oh, Timothy, come quickly, because I'm alone. And, and, and these, these community that I have, that I've told you I've had faithful brothers and, and, and the faithful people around me, now they've had to go their way and everybody's gone, and I'm alone. You say, well, Paul, just find a church. He's in chains. There are times when you're not going to have it, you know. There are times when you can't have it. Just don't choose this. But but it might be, and it happened to Paul, and it may be you even even will be in seasons where you don't have this community, and, and then you'll feel its lack, you will. But that doesn't mean you're abandoned by God, of course. I don't know what your situation is. 
It just pushes you, or it should, to remember the wonder of the gospel as we have it. And, and to so do our best to build community around the gospel alone. And don't be surprised when people don't follow you in. We're sinners first to last, but with all our strength, we hold fast to this new hope, this new assurance that we have. If you're able to speak to people's identity, this underlying identity, that's what we're about. That they're beloved by Christ, by faith alone. Brothers and sisters, beloved, encourage. Whatever chance you have, do it, because there may come a season where you don't get to. You'll get sustained. Paul was. But this takes us back again to the three things I hope you see this morning. One is that you would see community. Oh, the Lord has made it. It's wondrous. Even when we go through hard seasons. That we might know the struggle. The struggle is to hold on to our faith. In light of the world constantly attacking us, that adds in the world into our gospel that we've come to know and love. Our Savior, who's our only hope. And, and then finally, this last piece that we might remember, that it's not about us getting better. Even in community, it's about death. It's about change, because Jesus died, and we will die before we're resurrected in him alone.